a few days ago, maybe a week ago, I was watching uh, some, you know, uh, interview, and it, I was just kind of surfing through this, the channels, and I, was, I came on this interview of a guy who had just climbed Mount Everest, and they were talking about the journey up Mount Everest, and, and uh, it was a journey met with great, opposite, uh, you know, difficulty, challenges that they had to go up, as any journey up Mount Everest, I would imagine, I've never done it, um, but there was a, this particular trip up the mountain was especially bad. In fact, a storm had hit them. They didn't expect it. And a couple of people had died that were part of their group. Uh, they had lasting consequences. Every single person on the journey had frostbite. And some had lost uh, appendages and fingers, toes, all of those things. And and a reporter happened to be there, and the, one of the climbers that had went on the journey was, was back talking to the reporter, and the reporter asked this question. I thought it was interesting. She reported, she said, um, why would climbers take such a great risk to just climb a mountain? And the climber, I thought his response was incredible, so incredible, I put it on the screen behind me. It is now obvious to me that you have never been to the top of the mountain. You have never experienced what it is like. The view makes it worth the risk and especially worth the cost. There are a lot of Christians that are living in the world today that are bored. They're living a safe life living far below the potential God has for them because they've never been to the top of the mountain to see that it is worth the journey. Yeah. Yeah. That all the sacrifices we make and everything God asks us to do and obedience to everything God asks us to do is worth it all because we've never been to eternity. Sure, the, the reality is who do you know that's been to eternity and can speak to it? There's probably no one that any of us in this room we could say other than what we read about in the Bible. And Jesus says, I've been there and it's worth it. And you got a choice. Do you trust him that he was the one who died on the cross, was resurrected and now has saved you and redeemed you with the blood he shed on the cross? Do you believe that? If you believe that, you also have to believe him when he said, listen, folks, you better be living for eternity because it's worth it. I've been to the top of the mountain and it's worth every risk. It's worth every challenge. It's worth everything you will lose. And, and when we look at what I'm going to talk about today, engaging in miracles, many of us believe they can happen. We just don't believe they always happen. What have you experienced with God that wasn't worth the cost? Romans the full gospel, there's a term we use, the full gospel. Romans 15, 17 to 19 through 19 says, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Now look at this. By the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God, so from Jerusalem all the way around Asia, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. What did he do? When we proclaim the gospel, it's more 
Although it's important to preach the gospel of the cross, it's important to talk about the resurrection of God, life or death. It's important to talk about the kingdom of God, but to understand what that means. The kingdom of God includes the authority and power that is now ours because of Christ's dominion over death. That we have power to operate in miracles, signs, and wonders. And in fact, the Bible says, if you're going to preach the full gospel, it's not just the cross, it's not just the resurrection, but it also includes doing miracles, signs, and wonders. Miracles happen, and they happen a lot. Some that you see, some that you don't see. But miracles are happening all around us. What's interesting was a number of years ago now, maybe, uh, I don't even know if it was 10 years ago, but my wife and I and our three kids, they were smaller then, were going on vacation in Michigan, and a lake vacation, and, and, and I had a Tacoma pickup and, and, uh, and, a, and a boat that weighed more than my truck. Now, you put us in there, maybe it weighed more than the boat, but it weighed more than the truck, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm cruising down the highway, and you know how you get into that, you cruise and everything's fine, and, and uh, you know, you got this, you know, I'm just 3,500 pound boat behind you, and, and, and then I pull on a side, and we were in Wisconsin going to pick up my parents, and, and if you've been on a country road in Wisconsin, you know one thing, if you ride motorcycle, you know they don't have shoulders, they're gravel shoulders, which are horrible for motorcycles, but they're horrible for anything when you're driving down the road, they have gravel sh uh, shoulders, okay? So now I'm pulling a 3,500-pound boat, and I'm following one of those old minivan Dodge minivans. How many know which one I'm talking with the paneled sides, the square front? How many know it? And it's like light blue. I remember as if it was yesterday. It was that much of an experience, and I'm following it, and it's far enough ahead, and I know that when I'm following it, in my head, I'm thinking, I got to be able to stop if they were to slow down. So I'm far enough back. It's a two-lane road. We're going down. We're going east on this road, just cruising along. And, and we got music playing. We're singing, doing all that stuff. The girl's in the back. And, 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 the, and then I noticed up in the distance, this guy on the side, right side of the road, he starts waving a stick. First of all, what is this guy doing out on a country road? He starts waving a stick. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why is that crazy dude out on the country road waving a stick, right? And, and it wasn't the stick man from Lakeville. You, some of you know what I'm talking about. And the van in front of me hits their brakes like right now. He was waving the van down in front of me and that van slowed down and I knew in that moment I was about to hit that van. And your, your, just your natural instincts. How many have been in a situation where everything slows down? Like your brain, it's like all of a sudden, you just went into half a second mode. You know, it's just like your brain starts thinking. So I'm already calculating, okay, I got to get around. And I go to pull around, and there is a semi-truck headed the other right at us. In that moment, I just immediately, I'm like, I could hit the ditch, but it was one of those deep ditches, which I knew was, would probably kill my family. The only hope I had, I was either going to plow into that minivan, the only hope I had was to try to get around the van. And I thought I could do it, so I, I gassed it as hard as I could, and I go to pull around, and I get behind, I knew the boat was gone. I knew there was no way, there was no way 
we were get, if we got through, if we were blessed enough to get past the minivan, there was no way that boat was going to, it was going to take it up. And we get in around, and I mean, literally the truck, like I could see the guy's face in the truck. And it was as if all of a sudden we're sitting in the lane. I can't describe it any other way than we're sitting in the lane and the boat's behind us. And it was just, you know how when lightning strikes, it's quiet? That's exactly what it was like. And Heather goes, that, and, and, and when we were that close, what I forgot to mention, Heather goes, Jesus. She knew we were in trouble. We get to the other end, and she goes, that was a miracle. Now, what's incredible about this story was about 10 years before that, we're sitting in front of, a, Heather and I are both sitting in front of a, a guy, 78-year-old man, who is prophesying over us and our family. And he says, I see God is going to transport you. You're going to be in danger, and God is going to transport you from danger and sure death, and he's going to move you to safety. Miracles happen. They need to happen because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's trying to do that in your life, and there are areas in your life where you've kept the door shut, and he's doing things in areas where you've opened the door and invited him, and he's doing things, and you need a miracle for things to change. I want to encourage you today that miracles, signs, and wonders still happen today, and they're supposed to happen a lot more than they're currently happening. The question is, do miracles only happen for certain people, or are they available to everyone, occurring more than we think? I would say yes. They, they're for everyone in this room. God has covenanted with us to do miracles. Now, um, the, I'm not going to get into, there, I'm not, like, I'm going to talk about something and you can get lost in this debate. In fact, I've debated whether I should even bring it up because I know how people can get a squirrel. <laughs> Don't do the squirrel moment here. Stay with me. There are many people, there, there's an argument that Allah, the God of the Muslim, Muslim faith, is the God of Abraham, right? And, and because Abraham was Ishmael's father, the father of the Arabs, which have taken on the faith of Islam, and so they believed in God, they called them Allah, and then, there, then there's the God of Isaac, Jacob, which is God of the Bible, and, and the argument would be that Allah, although they look to him as the God of Abraham, they describe him quite differently than they do in the Bible. So if you believe it is the God of Abraham that is Allah is the God of Abraham, you would say, your, your argument would be, but th how they describe, they don't know him because the way they describe him is quite different than the God that is described in the Bible. They don't have Christ. Christ was the true revelation of who God was. 
And so they don't believe he's not the God of Abraham because he's described differently. And, and using that argument, I want to bring it, so don't go squirrel on that, right? I want to bring you back to the place, there are many Christians who do not believe in the God of the Bible. Because if we believed in the God of the Bible, we would think differently. We'd have different attitudes. Our decisions would be different. Our passions would be different. We know who God says he is, but we don't live with the peace and life of that proclamation. Rather, our beliefs and decision and attitudes are negatively impacted by our lack of belief in his character. Let me demonstrate. Last week I brought this up because if we believed in the God of the Bible, there's a lot of things we would not be struggling with in our life, especially in the life of the Christian. Just follow with me. Are you with me? If we believe the God of the Bible as described in the Bible, we would be walking with a whole lot of life. Here's why. God describes them. I'm going to tell you the names of God based on how he describes them. Abba Father. Now, if God, if you ask for bread and your father wouldn't give you a stone, how much more will God give you what you need? Do you believe that? And yet, there are people that think God is holding out on them. God blesses some, but he doesn't bless me. God does miracles for some, but he isn't doing it for me. God is promoted some, but he hasn't promoted me. God is giving everything to you that you can currently sustain and hold on to. The reason he's doing it for some and not for you, my friend, I don't want to be rude or mean. Please understand my heart. I'm not trying to disrespect you, but you don't have the character to hold on to it. God will never give you more than you can handle. Because he doesn't want it to destroy you. He's Abba Father, but we think he's holding us back. He's holding back on us. This, this, he's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. If I believed that he was Jehovah, my provider, I would not have stress. I wouldn't live in stress. Why? Because God provides for me. And there's no other God Bigger than our God. No other God that's living like our God. And he says, I'm your provider. So either he's telling the truth and he'll provide for you or he's a liar. But when I live stressed, I'm not believing in the God of the Bible. He's Jehovah Shalom, my peace. And yet there are Christians that live in anxiety. If he's your peace... You don't need to fear. You don't need to live in anxiety. You don't need to worry about all of the things around us like most of the world is because he has declared, I am your peace. If I believe in that God, I won't live in anxiety. He's Jehovah's Sid Canoe, my righteousness. I don't live in guilt, in shame, and condemnation. He's Jehovah Shammah, the present one, which means he's here right now. I am not alone. If I'm living in loneliness, I am not believing. I know he's Jehovah Shammah, but I don't believe he is. Because loneliness would not exist because I know he's present. If he's Jehovah Nisi's my banner, 
I don't have an identity crisis because I know who he is. I know that he has created me. If he's El Roy, he sees me. I feel like God is not hearing me. God's inside of me. He's right here, right now. I know God hears me. Or is Jehovah Rapha my healer? It is. Now hear me. It is God's will for me to be healed. God does not use the weapons of Satan to work godly things in our life. Satan uses his weapons for evil. God turns what he intends for evil and uses it for good. But when the believer starts declaring and forms a theology that God made me sick in order to work something out in my life, that is a lie of the devil. God's name are terms to his covenant with us. And yet many Christians, as Christians, you've come to terms with whether you believe in the God of the Bible or the God you're creating. Have we created a God and a theology that accommodates my experiences? I have a theology where I take a little bit of God's word and I take my experiences and my experiences now interprets what God says. No, my friend, God's word should cause us to interpret the experiences. Our experiences are subject to his word. It be, for many believers, it's become a do-it-yourself theology. You know, we're doing a series in the fall called Seven. It's a small group campaign. I'll be reaching messages, and I'm working on it right now. This has been an issue in the church for thousands of years where we try to take our experiences and make God submit to our experiences than to submit to his word. Our faith in God of the Bible, the God revealed by Jesus to mankind, must embrace the reality that he is a miracle-working God. And he's covenanted with, covenanted with his children to do miracles in their life. We should live with a holy expectation that God is going to do a miracle every day in our life. Psalm 77, 14, and I got a lot of scriptures, so if you're not taking notes, write these down. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. Look at this in Acts 2, 22. It says, Follow, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by what? And what? And what? Jesus was God in a body. And he shows up to the people that are there, and they don't go, oh, you're God. The only way they know he's God in a body, he'd been, he'd, he later tells them at the end of the ministry, he says, I'm the son of God. But the way they know he's the son of God isn't by what he's saying, it's by the actions he's performing. The signs, wonders, and miracles opened a door which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Yet we're a church trying to live in our culture without doing signs, wonders, and miracles. 
We're trying to live, literally live without that. Jesus did not give us power and authority so that we'd sit in a chair and wait for the rapture. He didn't give us power and authority so that we'd stand up and sing about it. God has mandated us to perform miracles. But most of us sit there and go, like, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to run to an altar and ask God to do a miracle in my life when he says, I'm not doing the miracle to you, you're going to work it through you. We are to perform miracles. God isn't getting off his throne. Jesus isn't getting off his throne and doing anything more to make something happen. He has said, I've done everything that I've needed to do. I've resourced it. I've given power. I've given authority. I've given the ability to do it. The only thing preventing miracles from happening in the culture in which we live is a disobedient bride. Because God wants you to become someone who performs miracles. Look, look at this. John 7, 38 to 39. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed him in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Literally, when at salvation, the Spirit comes and lives in us. At the baptism of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit flows from us. The opposite, because living water is flowing water. It flows. Living water flows. It flows from a spring. That spring is the Holy Spirit that flows out of us. Now, now follow this. Stagnant water is the opposite of living water. Stagnant water is water that does not move, it sits. And it collects the impurities of its environment and it literally perpetuates it rather than wash it away. So then life becomes more about struggling with sin than overcoming it. This Christian walks becomes more boredom than it does an adventure. We fight more with our brothers and sisters in Christ than walk in unity. We become trees with incredible foliage but no fruit. We're easily offended, which some even today as I'm preaching this message are. And we find ourselves constantly compromising What we know is wrong. Living water, however, is life-giving. Ezekiel 47.6 says this. Son of man, do you see this? I, I want to just take that one section before I get into the prophetic word that Ezekiel gives that you're the fulfillment of. He says, do you see this? He who has eyes, let him see. When Jesus says, he who has ears, let them hear. What he's saying, he who has a spirit who's living in you, hear what I'm saying. If you're in this room and you have eyes to see, see what I'm about to see. See it. 
Because God isn't coming to do God things like we think he is. He's doing his God stuff through you. Read, look at, read this in Ezekiel 47.8. It says, he said to me, the waters flow toward the eastern region. By the way, the waters are flowing from where in this prophecy? The temple. The temple. The waters flow toward the eastern city and goes to the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the Dead Sea, the salty water that's there becomes what? Fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water, say it, so where the river flows, everything will live, right? The fishermen spread their nets out and they catch all of these fish. Fruit trees of all kinds grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail. Every month they bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them and their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. See, here, here's the thing. The sanctuary, the temple isn't a building it's you you are the temple of the Holy Spirit you are a habitation God the Holy Spirit came to inhabit you his habit he didn't come to do a visitation he this is the, the and I told you that I've told you this before in fact I told you it a few months ago I think one of the greatest things things we struggled to believe in is that the Holy Spirit is living in me right now. We, we see him in other people. Like we see him, like you may go, well, the pastor has it or those teachers have it or those elders or I know this grandpa, my grandpa had. We, like we pick out people we think we see it in, but we struggle to believe that the Holy Spirit that's operating in them is operating in me. Acts 1.8 says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Smith Wigglesworth made this statement. He says, it is an insult to God to ask for power once you've received the Holy Spirit. So, so um, listen to this. If the Holy Spirit is in me, right? And that's what the scripture says. The temple says the Holy Spirit's in me. And Ezekiel 47 is a prophetic word to us today who've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that there will be rivers of living water, rivers flow, right? Rivers flow, do you believe that? That, that they flow wherever flow. So when we pray the prayer, and you've heard me say, never waste your time asking God to move. It is a foolish prayer it is not a theologically correct prayer to say, God, would you move? Holy Spirit, move. Because the Holy Spirit has never stopped moving. You're asking him to do something he's already doing. He's like, when you pray that prayer, it's obvious you're blind. Because you don't see that he is moving. So, so if I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, and out of me is supposed to flow rivers of living water. I want to show you the If you say, let's just say you pray the prayer. You haven't ever heard me say that, so you pray. Holy Spirit, move. Someone says, well, pastor, I just want the Holy Spirit move. Do you want to see the Holy Spirit move? How many in here want to see the Holy Spirit move? Yeah. Right? Okay, watch, watch carefully. Are you all watching? 
He physically moved right before your eyes. Right? Now watch. If I'm a carrier of the Holy Spirit, I'm a habit, he, he inhabits himself inside of me. Right? And there are rivers of living water that flow. We don't run from toxic places. We flow to them. We don't run from the sick. We flow to them. So literally, when I do this, what is happening? I am not a human moving around. I'm not even the move. I am a river of the Holy Spirit flowing through my day in my workplace, wherever I go is opportunity for me to touch lives with healing, to bring life to people who are discouraged, to recognize things no one else is recognizing because where some are moving through their day like stagnant ponds, I'm moving through my day like a living stream of water and out of my life... Out of my being, I, I'm, I'm a carrier of something that's going to bring you life today. So when someone says, yeah, I'm going to the doctor and I need to do, hey, I don't ask them, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? I say, you know what? I can pray for that and see that taken care of. You know, most people who are sick are going into surgery. Most atheists who are sick and going into surgery will accept prayer. They'll accept prayer. So I want to show you something. Jesus mandates to the disciples to do miracles. It's a responsibility. What it means is it's our ability to respond. If you're thinking, God, we just want you to do something. We come to prayer. God, we just want you to do something in the world around us. And God said, I did when I created you, put my spirit in you, and called you a living stream of water. I need you to flow. Never, you ever notice, we always, we pray prayers to try to, to try to do away with our own responsibility. I want to tell, it's like Moses saying, God, I don't want to go deliver them, send someone else. Have you checked out Aaron? Aaron could do that, God. We want to forego our responsibility. Freely, you, remember this statement, you're going to see it in a moment. Freely you've received, now freely give. Most of us are not seeing miracles in our own life because we're reaping the dam of miracles that we haven't released in others. Oh, that's not in my notes. I just, just, that just flowed right into my, you want to see miracles happen in your life? Start walking in miracles in other people's life, performing them, and you'll see plenty in your own. Matthew 10.1, look at this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Verse 7, he says, as you go, proclaim the message of what? The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who are lepers, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely go. Now, 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 follow, follow. Notice, Jesus hasn't died yet. And he hasn't been resurrected. The spirit hasn't been released. He breathes on them. And they go out and operate in signs, wonders, and miracles. And they're not even Christians yet. The sacrifice on the cross hasn't even been made yet. I see that moved you as much as it did me. <laughs> I mean, we have salvation through the, the sacrifice of cross and the Christ and his resurrection. We have life. And we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit with power. 
And they're operating in the power. And we're just like, well, that's not me. That's someone else. Really, who else? Who else? Here are the miracles he talks about. Revelation of the kingdom of God. Salvation. There's no greater miracle. Like literally the kingdom. In, in the fall, we're doing this series called Seven. And we're, we, we talk about the seven churches in Turkey. And I'm working on it right now. And I'm, I'm going through it. And the one thing I'm having the hardest thing with is that when the missionaries went to these places, they were pagan cities. Do you know that the early church were called atheists by the pagans? Because we have a ton of gods, but you only got one. We're far more spiritual than you are because you only got one God and we got a lot. It's trying to wrap my mind because I've been raised in this culture that has an understanding of who God is. They had none. And they go out and give their life. Where literally, their culture said, your pleasures were given to you by the gods. Live them how you please. And now they come and say, those pleasures are death. Come to the God and he'll set you free from those. <laughs> like we got Christians trying to live all the pleasures of the world now. It's like going the other direction. Right? Salvation is truly a trans it's a miracle. And then to heal the sick and disease, raise the dead spiritually, physically, soulfully. Drive out demons that are real and they exist. Cleanse the lepers, forgive sinners of guilt and shame. And supernatural events, financial miracles, relational miracles, outcomes, all kinds of events. He says, go out and do that to 12. And you say, yeah, he told his disciples they walked with him. Well, what's interesting is that was Matthew 10. Go to Luke 10. Luke 10. He has 72 he sends out. And he says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, sent them two by two ahead of them, every town and place where he was about to go. These weren't people who traveled with Jesus. In verse 8, he says, when you enter a town, you're welcome. Eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and then tell them the kingdom of God has come here. Do miracles. Verse 16, he goes, this is, in, this is in another incredible statement. He says, whoever listens to you listens to me whoever rejects you rejects me but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent he, you are a Christ ambassador see here's the thing Christ isn't coming to do it he's given you power and the authority to use the power and he says if they don't listen to you they're not listening to me see Satan's whole purpose is to think less of yourself spiritually so that you'll stay stagnant in your waters and die. Reinhard Bonnke said it this way, God's word in your mouth is just as powerful as God's word in his mouth. Do you believe? He that has ears, listen to the word goes on in verse 17 the 72 returned with joy and said lord even the demons submit to us in your name and he replied i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven that was actually before even the creation of man that the battle was won and satan was thrown down like lightning he was referring to something in the past he says i have given this is the he says i have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions all of the evil things of the world and to overcome all the power of the enemy nothing will harm you. That's a promise right there. However, don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you because that's nothing. They're already defeated. Rejoice your name 
that you're known in the kingdom of God. Well done, good and faithful servant. See, the spring of living miracles, the motivation for one, miracles flow out of obedience. Look at this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There are two groups of people in this story. The first group is the people who did not do the will of God. If you call him Lord, it will be demonstrated not by your mouth, but by your obedience. You cannot call him Lord and not obey what he's telling you to do. Now, I want to give you a statement I think will help in this. Okay? We don't pray for the sick and pray for miracles just because we think it will work. We do it because the Lord instructed us to. The enemy comes and says, well, when you do it, it won't work. What happens if they don't get healed? What will you say if it doesn't happen? The enemy is right there telling you, don't do it. Be disobedient because it might not work. Did you notice, first of all, I'm putting myself first. It's not about them, it's about me. So don't do it because God said, the reason we pray for the sick, the reason we pray for miracles, the reason we do what God's telling us to do is because he told us to. And he can't be Lord of my life until he becomes Lord of my decisions. Until we stop operating in obedience before God. The second group were those with no relationship. They were obedient and did the assignment but had no relationship. Listen to this. If people who have no relationship with Jesus are able to see miracles when they pray, those who know Jesus have no excuse. Secondly, miracles flow out of faith. Faith. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we're going to see, but we don't see yet. James 1.6 says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave tossed by the sea and the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all he does. Our faith to see miracles is rooted in God's Word. It is knowing who I am and knowing who He is. Knowing He will be faithful to His Word. Remember, He says, what you say, when they hear what you say, is as if they're listening to me. When you declare God's Word, it's as if it's coming out of His mouth through yours. But a lot of us have faith breakers. You know, uh, power breakers, electric breakers. Like we have faith to a point and then we pop a breaker. What I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do is to remove your 15 amp breaker and replace it with a biggest breaker you can get where your faith would begin to increase. Thirdly, 
Miracles flow out of a pure heart. Matthew 12, 38, 39 says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, They had just seen all of these miracles take place. These people that were healed. Man with a shriveled arm, that his arm was restored. And all of these things had taken place. And they say, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, these are the religious leaders of the day. They fast, they read the Bible, they do all the religious stuff better than anyone in this room. They, they have devoted their life to studying the scriptures. And this is how Jesus answers them. A wicked and an adulterous generation asked for signs. They had just asked for them. He didn't like call them that, but he kind of inferred it. You ever been in that situation where you ask something and then they attack you through an inference? It's almost worse than just saying it. He says, but none will be given except the sign of prophet. You know, it's interesting here. All the religious leaders wanted and often all the American church wants is to be entertained. Come on, pastor, be the dancing monkey that gets up there and do all kind of entertain us. Give us another spin on the word so we can go home and go, that was great. Now let's watch football. pastor do some fun things that make us all excited Anthony come up here quick share literally what is happening this is what happened you'll have to do it quickly but go ahead just talk a lot There we go. 106 students came to our winter camp. It was awesome. And uh, we had a big healing service that happened on that Saturday night, this past Saturday night. Um, and there was a moment, it was a three and a half hour service, by the way. Uh, and there was moments where students were throwing their boots up on stage. Walking boots. Uh, there, was a, there was a guy who had this huge back problem, football player, running up from the center aisle with it over his head, throws it on stage. There was a girl that had surgery up on her arm, had this huge open wound. Flesh came together, completely healed. I mean, students' lives were completely changed. People got healed like crazy. It was awesome. Yeah. See, see, uh, we, we have written them off because teenagers don't want this dead, pathetic, stagnant water religion. When they experience this is real, there's something real about this. It creates this desire for an adventure. You know, have you noticed as you get older, the desire for adventure kind of stalls out somewhere between 50 and 70? How many know what I'm talking about? Like, you got to ask God to keep, it stalls out. But that's not what God wants for our 20s and our 30s and our teenagers. He wants that fire that David had when he slayed Goliath and he killed the lion and the bear. That kind of faith in their God. They just want to be entertained. The miracles of God were not meant to entertain us or affirm our identity or confirm my relationship with God, but to restore to us his original intent, to establish justice of the demonic realm that has come to kill, steal, and destroy. See, what Jesus was saying, the reason I do the miracle signs and wonders is not to impress you with how great I am. The reason we go and perform miracle signs and wonders is not to impress the people we work with and to get them to say, oh, don't, don't, don't reject them, don't leave them out. It's to 
is because of the person that had the shriveled arm that become alive. See, Jesus saw the person. I want to stop. I, I think the reason we don't do, we don't even try to do miracle signs and wonders is because we're too afraid of what people might think about me. Because all we see is me. And when Jesus came to earth, the one thing he didn't look at was him. He saw people. He saw people that everyone walked with. All those religious leaders had walked right by those people and never seen them. They expected Jesus would do the same as all the priests. But when Jesus came up and said, hey, what's your name? My name is John. What's going on with that arm? I don't know. It's been that way to birth. <laughs> I bet you would love that arm to work. I sure would. Reach it out to me. Well, I can't. Just try it. He sees you. Who sees the people around you that don't even know who he is? That don't even know he exists? That thinks he's a God of a building? When he's a living stream of water that's supposed to flow to places, to people that would never step into this place. The last thing is, and I want you to say it with me. You see it on the screen. Miracles flow out of me. I want you to stand right now. Would you do that? Would you do that right now? I want you to say this with me. Say this with me, can you? Miracles flow out of me. Say it again. Miracles flow out of me. That's who we are. We serve a miracle-working God who had a miracle-working son who has a miracle-working bride. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And just as Ezekiel prophesied hundreds of years before Christ, Christ demonstrated in his ministry so that we could walk as temples, releasing living streams. When you walk out and get up tomorrow and you start walking around your workplace, I want you to envision that you're creating this river. And the more you minister, the deeper and wider the river gets. The more I pray for people when I come to an opportunity, hey, what's going on there? And they share, can I pray with you? And you, you don't even think about why it won't happen. You expect it to happen. And you don't pay any attention to whether what the response is because all you care about is that person. You just begin, well, pastor, what if it doesn't happen? That's the problem. Stop even thinking that. It's not part of That's a satanic word when you think that. Are you with me? Will you do this and just say, put your arms and say, I surrender. I surrender, Lord, right now. I surrender. Go ahead, begin bringing the worship in right now. We're going to worship. Right now, just tell God I surrender. Say this with me. I want to be someone who, who works, who performs miracles, signs, and wonders to just demonstrate the love of God for a lost generation.